welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. We thank you so much for joining us today on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Dr. Charles graduated from the University of North Texas Health Science Center at Fort Worth, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine in 2005. She did her residency at the Corpus Christi Family Medicine Residency Program in Corpus Christi, Texas, and she has been working for WellMed at the Ingram location as a PCP since 2015, and we are delighted to be co-hosting these shows with Dr. Charles. Marisa, great to see you. Hey, Ron, it's good to see you too. Now we see each other via Zoom, but on the radio, you just get our voices. So Dr. Charles, let's play act. I'm your patient sitting in the waiting room, in the exam room, the door opens, they've already taken my blood pressure and vitals and you walk in and you sit down. And the first thing I say to you is, I can't sleep. I hate it. I go to bed, I wake up, I go to bed, I wake up. Help me. What do I do? Well, you know, this is actually a common conversation that we have in clinic. Um, Sleep is so important. And there are so many people that suffer with broken sleep. And there are several conditions that make that worse. Um, But usually we start off just kind of talking a little bit about the basics. So expectations. How much are we supposed to sleep? Um, What is a normal amount of sleep? What is not? Um, And that can be a little different. Most people should be sleeping about seven to eight hours a night. Now, there's some people that sleep, you know, five or six and feel like, you know what, I feel good. I'm rested. That's enough sleep for me. And other people need a little bit more, maybe eight, maybe nine hours of sleep. I do have some patients, you know, especially as we get older and we don't have um, a lot of you know, you don't have to get up and go to work, you don't have a lot of responsibilities that, you know, stay in bed, sometimes a little bit longer. And so sometimes we do have to talk about what um, is expected or what normal amount of sleep would be. Um, Is there harm in sleeping too much? I've got a neighbor across the street, uh, he and his wife are in their 80s, uh, and they probably sleep, I I only know this because he and I have talked about it, 12 hours or more a night. You know, I like as as far as is there danger, like, I don't know danger, but you want to think about, well, you know, there are conditions that will make you want to sleep more, you know, you want to make sure that um, you're not depressed, you know, sometimes people um, sleep more than usual when they're depressed, you want to make sure that it's not because of medications, you know, there are a lot of medicines that can be very sedating. Um, And so, you know, there's balance there. And some people, they have, you know, maybe pain or, or, you know, other conditions going on where they just feel more comfortable if they sleep more. So it's all about, you know, what you want out of your day and um, making sure that it's not due to something that we could be doing or, or medications or something like that, that could be causing you to and sleep And depression, as you said, uh, can lead you to sleep a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the p- possible symptoms. You know, some people, can't, you know, just want to be asleep all the time and other people can't sleep at all. And so there's, it can be either of the extremes. 
Um, but apparently March is National Sleep Month. I don't think I realized that. So I didn't either. Uh, and so we salute sleep. We salute sleep. That's yeah. Talk to us a little bit about sleep hygiene, because uh, although uh, my wife is not in the room, we I'm at home and, and we, we do these shows from uh, away from the studio. And so I can talk about it because she can't hear me. <laughs> she will okay. read or watch movies on her yeah. iPhone yeah. right before she goes to sleep, lying in bed, uh, watching that iPhone. Uh, and yet everything I've seen says get away from electronic devices before you go to sleep. That's absolutely true. So, so here's the thing. Um, our devices, especially if we're talking about tablets and phones or laptops, they're shooting bright white blue light um, right into our eyes. And you have to think about evolutionarily, you know, uh, we're programmed to sleep when it gets dark. Like our body starts secreting melatonin and these natural sleep hormones when the sun goes down, supposedly. And now it's all confusing because we have artificial light. We have the devices, the laptops, the phones. So all of those can lead to interrupted sleep. Your body is not getting the right signals to help it, you know, know when it's time to rest and when it's time to sleep. So the cavemen and women... Uh, it was dark in the cave. They didn't have lights. Uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Thank you for listening to us. If you've just joined us, let me let you know you're listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, and we're delighted to have you on board. Thanks for being with us. And, and Dr. Charles, back to the caveman. No TV, no smartphones, no electronic devices, uh, and, and no security light outside that cave. They simply went to sleep. Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things that we adapted to because, I mean, if you're walking around outside in the dark, you are much more likely to fall die. in a ditch, die from some, you know, get eaten by a, you know, an animal that's out there predatory waiting. And so it's a lot safer when it's dark for us to hide in our cave and go to sleep and rest until morning. Interesting so, to hear you say that. We went to a, a great museum in San Antonio for those who are listening elsewhere, uh, the Witte Museum in San Antonio, Texas, has great natural history exhibits. And, and we went there over the weekend. We're in one exhibit, Dr. Charles. I got our three kids with us. And it's an exhibit showing you uh, the animals that may be out there when it's dark. And, and so mm -hmm. there's just enough light. You can see wolves, coyotes, mountain lions. Uh, and my wife said to the kids, see that? They watch you and they'll eat you when you go out at night. And I hadn't thought about it before, but they are out there, right? They sure are. So, I mean, in, you know, urban areas, you may not see that as much, but, you know, the there's definitely, you know, animals that have much better night vision than we do that could be predators. But, you know, what it brings us back to is that our signals for sleep are not as clear as they used to be. And by using the um, devices, we are making it even harder for our body to know when it's time for sleep. So we talk about sleep hygiene. So one of the things with sleep hygiene is that you want your bedroom to be like a little sanctuary. You want it to be like your sleep zone. Um, and so things like you know, sitting in your bed and 
reading a book, sitting in your bed and watching television, sitting in your bed and, you know, just, you know, eating or doing whatever it is that, you know, sometimes we relax and want to do uh, on the bedroom, in the bedroom, on the bed, um, it interrupts sleep. So you want to make sure that you're using your bedroom, you know, for that purpose. We almost want to classically condition ourselves that, you know, when we go and we turn off the lights and we lay down and we get our little blanket all snuggly, that it's because it's time to go to bed. And we also want to be in a good routine. The body loves routine. So trying to go to bed and get up at about the same time every day is very helpful for establishing a good sleep um, cycle and making sure that our, our diurnal rhythms, our body rhythms are synced up to the times that we want to be asleep. I know people who work shift work uh, that rotate have a really difficult time. They may be day shift one week, uh, early evening shift another, overnight shift another. Uh, body has trouble adjusting to that. It does. I mean, you think about even just traveling, you know, from one side of the world to another side of the world, that's basically what you're doing, right? So you're shifting so that where, you know, when it was daytime for your body, now it's nighttime for your body if you're traveling and there's something called jet lag um, that people will feel where they just get, you know, very fatigued and have a hard time functioning until their body adjusts to the new time zone. I was reading uh, uh, mm -hmm. some information on sleep and sleep habits. And, and one of the things uh, was daytime naps. I know late President Lyndon Johnson used to take a nap every day uh, for a half hour, an hour or so. Uh, and, and the advice is, uh, as I've read, don't nap for more than 30 minutes. I would think that's accurate. So you you really have to think about the situation because if you're struggling to fall asleep at night and you're staying up and then, you know, getting up in the morning and then you're kind of tired midday the next day. So you take a little nap again and then you're in a cycle. Then at night you're having a hard time falling asleep again, staying up later. And, you know, your body does need a certain amount of time from the last time you slept to the next time you're going to sleep for it to kind of reset and, and realize that it, it's time to go to bed. So I don't think napping is necessarily all that bad unless it's interrupting your sleep and you're not able to fall asleep at the right time, you know, later on that evening. So for people that are struggling with insomnia, we normally do tell them not to nap. What is insomnia? I, I know the layman definition is you just can't go to sleep and stay asleep. Right. I mean, that that's basically what it is. Insomnia is just that, uh, you know, a medical condition where you are struggling with um, both falling asleep and staying asleep um, can, you know, some people just struggle with very interrupted sleep as well. So I say to you, my doctor, so give me something, give me something to take. There's so many drugs out there that say, hey, we're going to let you sleep. Why not give it to me? Well, you know, I do have so many patients that come in and just want an easy pill. And I usually will have this whole conversation with them. Like it, it's, I, I could throw a pill at you and yes, you would sleep, but that doesn't fix the problem. And pills for sleep, usually like, it's really better if we use them short-term just to get your sleep pattern reestablished. And then, um, and then you get right off of them because it is possible to get addicted or, or dependent on sleep medication um, and then really not be able to sleep at all unless you take them. So we don't really want to have patients get stuck in those situations either. 
We're going to come back to this in a moment. I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the dangers, especially uh, for older people from some of those sleep medications. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. We're talking about sleep, what's good, what's bad, how to develop good sleep habits, and how to deal with sleep issues. You're listening to WellMed Radio. Nervous about going to see the doctor? At WellMed, many patients can see a doctor from the comfort of home with My Health Light Now. Enjoy a secure private medical appointment using a computer, smartphone, or tablet. You can even get same-day appointments. Go to www.myhealthlightnow.com to register or download the My Health Light Now app. Interested in becoming a WellMed patient? Visit discoverwellmed.com. I'm tempted to sit here and yawn and tell you, oh, I need sleep. We're talking about sleep. Uh, fortunately, knock wood, I'm one of those folks, and I hate to talk about it, but I don't have any problem sleeping, but many, many people do. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, and she was saying to me off air, this is a topic she is so comfortable with because she talks about it all the time with her patients. Talk to me about the side effects and the risks for older people from some of the common sleep medications or off-label medications used for sleep like Benadryl? So, you know, like the safest thing that I do, you know, if patients really, really want a pill, you know, we start usually with something like melatonin. And for a lot of folks, that helps them and it seems to do well. Although I do tell people high doses of melatonin don't help more than low doses. So if you're going to do melatonin, I would just do maybe five milligrams, not too much more than that. I have had some patients that will say, well, you know, one didn't do it. So I took four. Ooh, um, Ooh. Yeah, let's, let's not do that, but it's natural. No, um, you can have some um, side effects, some jitteriness, even from melatonin, if you're taking very high doses and it doesn't help more. So just five milligrams, if, if any. Um, the next one that's really common that's included in most of those like PM formulations, the Tylenol PMs, the Advil PMs, the z those are usually medicines similar to, um, to Benadryl. It's usually diphenhydramine or another one of its cousins um, that is that they're very similar. And those medications, again, they're okay for occasional um, sleep aids. There are potential side effects, especially as we get older and have a harder time clearing the medications through our kidneys and through our liver. Um, some of the side effects with medicines like Benadryl or those PM formulations include uh, blurry vision, uh, dizziness, and even a strange one that I always thought was a little odd, but difficulty starting to pee. Like, you know, you got to pee and you, you go and you sit and it won't come out. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's something I don't see it as often, but could happen. It's very um, uncomfortable. But, but the dizziness, you know, people, especially if they've taken this kind of medication and then they're getting up, you know, to go urinate in the middle of the night, um, we worry about falls and falls, you know, especially in our older folks can be pretty devastating, um, broken hip. And, you know, wow. it happens in a second. Years ago, so, I can remember my son at the time he was 16, uh, Mitch uh, taking NyQuil and it made him hyperactive. Ooh. It didn't slow him yeah, down. Like the opposite. It yeah. was the exact opposite. 
I mean, that's possible. I, I have had maybe a patient or two that's told me that. I know that's not the norm, but certainly could happen. So then you get into some other ones. Like there's, there is a medication called trazodone that's supposed to be a little bit safer um, in seniors. And we do use that one. It does have some antidepressant properties. Um, and it's probably one of the ones I use the most for sleep. After that, we have the more like famous or popular ones, which are, you know, the ones that are um, advertised more, um, your Lunestas, your Ambien's. Um, those classes of medications, although effective, especially in the senior population, can be troublesome, quite troublesome. Um, we hear, you know, one big side effect that I've actually had multiple patients that have taken those medications before tell me about is sleepwalking. Um, I had one patient in particular that made it all the way out to her car and was trying to get the key in the ignition when she woke up. Blessedly, she didn't get it into the ignition and tried to drive off asleep. Um, but that is certainly a possibility. I, I had another patient. Wow. Yeah. Go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Oh, I was just going to one other quick one that she woke up and she was like surrounded by McDonald's wrappers and like drink cups and stuff. She's like, what is happening? And her roommate says, oh, yeah, you were hungry in the middle of the night. So we went to McDonald's and picked up food and came back and you ate it. And then you went back to sleep. She had no memory wow. of any of that. Yeah, I knew a case where a woman uh, went to her kitchen and emptied all the cupboards, pots, pans, glasses, sound asleep. I mean, you, you, like, you really can have a lot of very odd behaviors um, and things happen with that class of medication, bordering on dangerous. You know, again, something like, you know, getting into your car, driving, you could hurt somebody. Um, I, so I rarely prescribe those. And the patients that come with me that are already on them, and that's another problem, people that are on them for an extended period of time, get very dependent on them. And so again, if you can avoid getting started, it's better. Or if we really need something like that, then we're going to use it the shortest amount of time possible um, to try to reduce the risk of you becoming dependent on that class of medicines. And you get chemically or psychologically hooked on those medications? Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, I think, a little bit of both. Um, and it's I can't hard. sleep without my Ambien, for example. Yeah, it's very hard to get off of those once you're once wow. you're pretty attached. Yeah. Now we've talked about insomnia uh, as a, a sleep disorder. Uh, what about restless restless leg syndrome, which I know about from both my own occasional restless leg cramps and all the TV ads? I gather right. it's real. Yeah. No. No. Definitely, I do have a few patients that struggle with that, and it's a a um a sensation of needing to move your legs that you can't resist and it interrupts sleep. So, or, you know, sometimes people will kind of kick involuntarily and wake themselves up, um, you know, with the movements in their legs that they cannot resist or control. So um, there are, of course, you know, treatments that are helpful for the restless legs if that's what you're suffering. Cramp is, cramping is different. So that's like um, Charlie horses or, or muscle cramps. And I've certainly experienced that where it wakes you up out of sleep with a, a spasm or a muscle cramp. Those tend to be more related to um, either mineral imbalances, like you're not getting enough calcium and magnesium in your diet, or you haven't been drinking enough fluids if you're a little bit dehydrated and just 
you know, you've been busy and you didn't realize, I think that's what happened to me, that I was just busy running around and was not drinking much fluid, much water at all. And I ended up having lots of those Charlie horses for a period of time, but drinking more water, taking some multivitamins, and it seemed to get better. So do you see patients with narcolepsy? I've got a really, really good friend. Uh, we went to high school together. He married his high school sweetheart. Uh, and she has narcolepsy. We, I, I can remember like it was yesterday, we'd go out for dinner and all of a sudden she'd fall asleep. Wow. You know, I actually, I can't say that I've seen a lot of patients or treated a lot of patients that have an actual diagnosis of narcolepsy. That one's a very interesting um, diagnosis. You know, they're like sleep attacks, usually right. associated with like uh, strong emotions, like they're laughing and they just fall asleep, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, definitely something that I would have to, that it's not my area of expertise. I would have to send that off to a sleep specialist. Um, if I had a patient with some, with those concerns, but it's well, not his concern, of course, common. with her, her driving, uh, oh, because yeah, she literally like couldn't control, idea. could not control falling asleep. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good reason to not drive. And then another one, uh, that has become more and more. Uh, I, I think aware in, in the public consciousness is sleep apnea. Now that is a very serious condition that can lead to a lot of problems down the road if it's undiagnosed and untreated. Um, I would say, you know, although not everybody, but vast majority of patients that are having symptoms of sleep apnea, a lot of times they don't even know it's the bed partners that come in and say, you got to do something, doc. They're not letting me sleep at all because of the snoring and the breath holding. And so usually it's not just loud snoring. It's usually episodes where they're holding their breath and not breathing, sometimes for 30 seconds, a minute, minute and a half. Um, and often the oxygen levels in the blood will go down pretty low. You know, as, the as CO2 goes way up. Yes, because you're not blowing it off. But, you know, it's as if you were swimming underwater, you know, holding your breath for a, a, an extended period of time. Um, it's it it stresses the body. So and those people, what happens is just as you're falling asleep, you know, you've got the, you know, different levels of restfulness in sleep and you get into the, the early, you know, higher levels of sleep where you can wake up very, very easily and they're still okay. But as they get into the deeper, more restful sleep, um, their body relaxes and the pharynx, the back of the neck relaxes and closes. So what ends up happening ultimately is that you never feel rested because you never get into the deep sleep. So even though they feel like they're asleep, they might sleep eight hours, but they never get into the really restful sleep and therefore will wake up feeling even more tired than they were when they went to bed. How do you diagnose it? Well, usually we have a clue, you know, we'll ask about daytime sleepiness. We have little scales that we can ask certain questions like, how likely are you to fall asleep? You know, when you're a passenger in a car, how likely are you to fall asleep watching TV or reading a book? And if they answer positively enough, then we'll send somebody to a sleep study, which nowadays for most people, they can do them in the home. Um, before we had to send everybody off to a lab to do it um, in a formal setting. There are still some patients that must be sent to a lab if they are, 
beyond a certain weight, for example, or have advanced COPD or heart failure, there are some conditions where we can't do the home sleep studies. But these days, we can do a lot of these tests at home and diagnose the sleep apnea that way and get people on the treatment. Now, that's the other challenge is just getting people to use the sleep apnea, uh, the, the machines, the CPAP machines. And those a machines, lot of folks don't like them. Will they help keep your air, airwave open? Correct. So they're providing pressure, positive pressure into the airway that keeps the airway open so that you don't have those episodes where you're doing that breath holding thing and lowering your oxygen levels. Now, speaking of the sleep apnea machine, there's TV ad running, uh, pushing some medical procedure that eliminates the need for those hoses and masks that come with that sleep machine. And it installs some kind of gadget in your throat uh, that you trigger when you go to bed with a remote. I don't know oh, if you're wow. aware of that. Mm, nope. I don't watch a lot of TV. I guess I've missed that one. I've not heard of that, but um, I know that weight loss, if you're struggling with sleep apnea, it makes a big difference and um, avoiding alcohol at bedtime and then making sure that you've been checked for things like low thyroid function um, is also helpful. Well, we're about flat out of time and I, uh, uh, appreciate this discussion. It's very, very helpful. Bottom line, talk to your PCP. Absolutely. Dr. Charles, thank you so much. Sleep and sleep problems. Delighted to have this conversation. I'm Ron Aaron for Dr. Marisa Charles. Thank you so much for joining us right here on WellMed Radio. Executive producers for WellMed Radio are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker. And associate producers are Natalie Ibera and Maurice Hudson. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.